You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our Greenville teaching pastor, Matt Humphrey. We've been in a series um, going through a slow and methodical read of uh, the book of Ephesians, looking at Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. And um, if you haven't joined us for this, I wanna encourage you, we have podcasts from Greenville and Simpsonville. Go back and listen to those. I I wanna even encourage, I also wanna encourage you as we conclude today to to go back home and to read over Ephesians one through six in its entirety as we've kind of uh, chopped it up into pieces. And so let me me bring us up to speed. I'm not doing a full deep dive of of an overview But um, the book of Ephesians, Paul talks so much. Um, You'll see this phrase, in Christ, so many different times. Um, He outlines who we are in Christ, the the blessings, the benefits of what we have because of our our identity being in Christ Jesus, that we're adopted into his family, that we are empowered and sealed with the Holy Spirit, that we have every spiritual blessing, all of these things this, that, that Paul highlights this. So we, we, we look so much about who we are, the benefits that we're no longer strangers and foreigners, we're adopted, we're grafted into God's family. And then it begins to shift of all of these things that he's done in us and given us, and then what is our responsibility within the context of the church to live that out? And how does this play out? And that through Christ, how does the church look and how does it operate and how does it declare to the world the mystery of the gospel? Um, We talked even about uh, the order with how God established the home and the household and relationships with authority. And so we've covered all of this. We were into Ephesians 6. Pastor Jason taught last week. And so we're going to wrap up um, Ephesians 6, the end of it. We're going to start in verse 10. Um, But I'm going to retell a story I've told you before. I don't know how long ago it was, but um, because it, it, it bears significance with this. Um, I've been in one and only fight at school if you can even call it that. It's embarrassing to even call it a fight, to be honest with you. Uh, I was in middle school. Uh, there was kids on the playground. They were doing the whole middle school fight where they just walk like they're dancing in circles for like 10 minutes, you know? It's a whole group of people around them saying, fight, 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 all this kind of stuff. And, and, and I was trying to be the comedian. So I jump in the middle, kind of teasing these two guys because they're, they're literally just walking in circles for, for, for a really long time. And then I don't know what happened. I don't know if I said something smart, but one of the guys left and it was me and one of the other guys in the middle of the fight and no one's saying fight. And I'm like, I wasn't involved. This had nothing to do with me. I was just making jokes. And this guy like squares off. He throws a punch, hits me on the side of the neck. Don't know how that landed. And then we get in trouble and sent to the principal's office. And I'm like, what just happened? I was trying to be funny and now I'm sitting in the principal's office and people, one, think I got beat up because I didn't swing uh, and it hit me in the neck. It didn't even hurt. I was like, that was the weirdest slow-mo punch I've ever had. Um, but I, I say that to say, I was looking at a situation and all of a sudden, as soon as I realized it, I was in the middle of it involved. And after Paul just highlights the, the truth of, of what we have in Christ, of who we are in Christ, of our purpose to carry it out. He ends with this thing with, where he talks about this idea of spiritual warfare. And here's what we have to realize is that you and I, we, we live in a world surrounded by war. Not just what we see on the news, not just what's happening in other countries. Uh, Paul, 
defines this clearly that there is, there is a spiritual battle that takes place every day. Whether you believe it or not, it happens. So just because you, you're like, nah, that's, that's too weird for me, doesn't negate the fact that it's truth. So there is a real spiritual battle that goes on. Uh, we see this beginning in Genesis 3. We see, uh, we see the serpent deceiving Eve and Adam. We see uh, the Old Testament prophets talking about um, Satan who is, who is cast out of heaven. We see his name even used as, you may have heard of Lucifer, which interesting enough, I was reading this week, is that that's actually not even in the original Greek and Hebrew. That was a later Latin word that was added, which means Luciferon, the morning star, as he was called, Venus. Uh, or we, we, we hear the, the name Satan or the Satan, uh, which is the adversary or the devil, which means slanderer, um, that his MO from day one is to speak lies is to try to thwart the work of God in you and in me. Uh, we, hear, we see this in 1 Peter 5. It says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering, that he is like a lion, that he is not a lion. He is not the lion of Judah. Um, Satan knows that he can't destroy you. It's too late for that. And so his, his job, his, 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 his quest is we are made in the image of God. He, he does not, he, he hates God. He hates God's children. And so he tries to diminish the work of the kingdom in you and I. He'll do anything he can to try to get us to, to be suffocated in sin, to be riddled with insecurity, to, to, to stop short, to be distracted, fill in the blank. He's, he cannot destroy you, but he is trying to destroy the work of God in you and through you, your effectiveness for the kingdom. And so we have to, when we realize that, we realize it's real, it's unavoidable, it's relentless. Um, that's why Paul talks about what we're about to talk about in verse 10 of Ephesians chapter six. So he says all of that. He says this, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord, and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. The second truth is that our strength comes from the Lord. Our strength comes from the Lord. And this is kind of a foundational statement that we have to establish, that our strength when it comes to waging the war doesn't come from your athletic ability, your prowess. It doesn't come from your intellect. It doesn't come from uh, how many passages you've memorized. Your, your strength, my strength, does not come from myself. Your strength does not come from yourself. Your strength is in the Lord. Uh, knowing who God is is so vitally important because the enemy, when he speaks, his native language is lies. 
Genesis 3, he twists what God says. He, he's going to do it in truths, in, in half-truths, to try to deceive you and I from believing God fully at his word. Uh, the Roman soldiers, uh, we'll talk about the armor in a second, um, actually, the idea of retreat or wounds in the back were deplorable because um, you didn't back down. That's why we talk about the armor. There's, there's no armor that defends the, the, the backside. It was this idea that you stand your ground, you hold firm, you hold fast, and you don't give in. It was that kind of resolve that, that Paul kind of plays into this when he talks about it. But he says that, that our strength is, is not from ourselves. Our strength is by what Christ is doing in us, the power that he's given us, and this discipline of putting on this, this armor of God to walk in the ways of God. Second Corinthians tells us that for that we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. So he's saying we, we have to think differently. We have to operate differently. Like if it was like, hey, push this much weight or like swing this sword this hard to cut this thing in half, we'd be like, yes, right? It'd be easy, it'd be tangible, we'd have a goal. We could, we could you know, puff up our masculinity and do something like that. But he's saying that the, the weapons that we fight with are not carnal weapons. We fight differently. And so if we fight differently, we have to understand and get dressed differently, which leads me to number three. Number three is that he has equipped us for the fight. Uh, so we're going to go through this. Uh, I'm going to read, and then we're going to kind of unpack a little bit of these um, as we go. We, we could do like a 10-week series on the armor of God. So I, by no means am I, this is exhaustive. This is a 30,000-foot view. Um, but let's pick up in verse uh, 14. He says, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Um, now, this isn't a direct reflection of Roman armor. There was actually a spear and two swords that they had, but think about this. Paul is writing the letter to the church in Ephesus while he is where? He's in prison. Who's he chained to? A Roman guard who's wearing armor probably. And so he's looking at this Roman guard who he's chained to. He's remembering in Isaiah talking about the, the armor of God. God is this warrior and the armor that he wears. And so he takes this symbolism. He takes a symbolism of, of faith in Christ and looks at this guy next to him and, and blends this, this, uh, this whole thing together. And so one, we have the, the belt of truth. Um, the belt, unlike when we get dressed, which is probably like the last thing you put on uh, of your clothes, the belt was the first thing that was put on. Uh, the belt was in the uniform, held everything else together. It strengthened the core. It was what the money bag was attached to, or your dagger was attached to. It was, it was this foundational piece. Um, it was the strengthening of a core um, that took place. Uh, what should be for, first for us is not our emotions. It's not our intellect. 
what should be first that we put on is truth, is God's truth. Right? It's like a soldier, if they go to basic training, day one, like the first thing is not you're handed a weapon and say, good luck, right? There's usually a whole lot of conditioning that takes place. They want to make sure that before they equip you with a weapon that you're strong enough to wield the weapon. He's saying this, this idea of the belt around us, this belt of truth is a strengthening of core. But truth is important. Charles Spurgeon said, discernment is not a matter of simply telling the difference between right and wrong. It is telling the difference between right and almost right. That is why truth is so important. Because if we know how the enemy works, is not just an like, outlandish lie that you would never believe. It's a twisting of truth to be a mistruth, an almost right. The second part that we see of the armor is the breastplate of righteousness. Um, all your vital organs are right here. Um, and that was what would cover your front. It was what would cover from, from spears and from arrows. Um, because of the cross, because of the, the finished work of the cross, that we have right standing with God. We have Christ's righteousness. And then also it's this ongoing, this process we call sanctification, this idea that, that as we follow Jesus, we become, we, we, we yield ourselves to his ways. We yield ourselves to God's words. We try to become more and more like Christ by the way that we operate, by the way that we deny the flesh and say yes to the spirit. It's this idea of right side up living. It's this idea that, you know, if you go out and you, they always tell you if you're in the wilderness and you're lifting up large boulders or large rocks, I don't know why you do it, but you do it, uh, you never lift them towards you or like you never lift them like this, right? You, you lift them away from you in case there's a snake underneath because it's going to bite you in the face if you do it the other way, right? Or I remember years ago, we, we, had a, a, we would do a slip and slide for teenagers into a retention pond full of mud. It's just, this is not scream teenager, right? Um, but we had like layers and layers of carpet down on this hill to pad it before we put the tarp on. And we would have to go out for weeks beforehand and kind of clear up all the weeds and like turn things the right way. And as we would do, we always would find, as we lifted up the carpet, we'd always find like black widows underneath which you're like, you were trusted with teenagers? Uh, we killed them. Um, but it was always, they, they hid in these dark places. And, and think of like righteousness, this, this, this right side up living. It's exposing things to the light. It's this walking in a right manner of walking in a way that we're, we're letting the light shine on everything. And we're not afraid of of. of of something being exposed. He's like, that, that's, that's the, what the idea of righteousness is, right standing before God. And the beautiful thing, I love this quote, it says, the cross didn't just take something from us, it gave us something miraculous to us, is that we have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, and there is no relationship that is, that is out of alignment that the Holy Spirit cannot bring conviction to help change. There is no addiction too great that the Holy Spirit can't empower you to help break the chains from. There, there is no like pathway of sin in which the Holy Spirit can speak truth and bring about conviction and bring about change. That we have everything that we need for godly living. That the Holy Spirit empowers us to walk in a way that brings honor and glory to God. Uh, the third thing, 
is feet fitted with the gospel of peace. Shoes are important. I remember as a kid, I went everywhere barefoot. I could walk on gravel barefoot, you know? But now as an adult, I'm like, I have a choice and I'm not going to, right? It's just pain. Like, I can't even imagine like running on gravel now as, as an adult. I would have to call out of work for like three weeks, you know? It's like, it's that instant, like you see somebody walking this, it looked like a, like a dinosaur for some reason, but like every step is painful if you're barefoot. So shoes are really important. You, you, you wear shoes according to activity that you're going to anticipate. Your, your date night shoes are very different from your working in the yard shoes, right? Uh, it, it's very different. And so this idea of having the right feet wear, footwear is so vitally important. Uh, and uh, military success of actually Alexander the Great was due in large part to their armies um, having the right footwear. I got a picture of what a Roman soldier's uh, sandals would look like. Uh, you could see the studs on the bottom would give them traction. Um, it would allow them to, to move with incredible amounts of speed, agility, uh, to be sure-footed in where they stepped. And he's saying that, that the same way as it would give mobility, um, the same way that we can actually stand firm when the enemy throws everything at us is to have the right footwear. And what is that footwear? It's, it's the peace of the gospel. The peace knowing of that our eternity is, is secure. The, the peace of knowing that we were once dead in sin, but God raised us to life with Christ. Like that, that gives us sure standing. That, that allows us to stand firm knowing that like come what may doesn't change the end of the story. Come what may, I, I, can, I can keep my feet planted. I don't have to constantly question or wonder or, or, or anticipate pain in every single step that we, we are, our, our feet are fitted with the gospel of peace. Um, in this life, the enemy wants us anxious and overwhelmed. He wants us unsure of every single step. And Paul is saying, hey, your feet, as you, as you walk, as you, as you stand, imagine like they are, they are covered with the peace. You have peace because of the gospel. That allows your feet to be planted. That allows you to dig in a little bit. That allows you to stand your ground better because you're not, it's not in question. Uh, and then in the midst of that chaos, Philippians, Paul reminds us, he says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for what he's done. And then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. And his peace will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. His peace doesn't make sense. Transcends all understanding. It, it doesn't compute. The next one is the shield of faith. The shield of faith. The, the, the Roman shield was not like the round one that we would picture. Uh, the Roman shield was actually like two and a half feet by four feet tall. And uh, one of the, I've explained this before, but one of the uh, tactics of warfare was always to um, breed confusion and chaos. Uh, and so what they would do is they're, they're, a lot of times in battle, the archers would line up, they would dip the tips of their arrows in tar or some kind of substance, they would light it on fire and they would shoot them at the same time across a vast opening to where uh, their opponents were. Um, you could think like as you blow on a fire, how red hot it, it gets, but imagine like an arrow flying through the air, just glowing, and it would hit uh, 
they would, they would duck, they would look for cover, it would hit their shield, and, and wood and fire don't mix well, right? So a wood shield with a flaming arrow on it, what they tried to do is to get you to just have to get rid of your shield. And then you were left defenseless for when they would come in with sword and spear. And so what they would do with their shields is they were actually lined with linen and with leather, and they would soak them in water so that when the arrows came, it could stick in the shield, but it would extinguish it. It would go out. He's saying the same way that the shield of faith, when the enemy throws his fiery darts of accusations, of lies, of memories of your past sins that have been paid for and atoned by the blood of Christ, that the shield of faith extinguishes those. It, it puts them out. It snuffs them out. And, and the other thing we, we think about, we always picture, at least I do in my mind, I don't know what you picture, uh, we, we picture uh, like a Roman soldier by themselves. Uh, but if you've seen any of the like war movies, uh, you know that they're never just one. They're, they're, they're in a legion. They're, there's, a, there's a group around them. The shield was not actually just to defend yourself. It was to defend part of your body and part of the body next to you. And, and what they would do when the, when the darts were, were, were thrown, the first row would hold their shields up and the second row would hold their shields up higher at an angle. And they formed this impenetrable like wall meaning that your faith, that my faith, is, is there's a communal aspect to this. That's why when we lift our voices and we worship, right? We're, we're singing to God, but we're singing to one another that it's a faith-building thing. We're designed to do life with people in community called the church. And your faith is not just about your walk, it's for the person next to you. So that your life can encourage the person to your right and to the left and to in front and to behind saying, hey, take up this, this shield of faith that extinguishes the fiery darts of the enemy. And then he goes on to talk about the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation that, that covers our mind. That, that Think about our thoughts. Like our, our, our minds are incredibly powerful, but they're also incredibly vulnerable. I know, we, we think we're smart. You can't control me. This is a very basic, let me, let me illustrate. I need participation, Okay. So I'm going to ask a question as quick as you can. I want you to call out the answer. Can everybody do that? You're like, there's some Clemson fans. I need to repeat it. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. All right. Easy. All right. So I'm going to, questions, just call out the first thing that comes to mind. Ready? Okay. Ready? Uh, number of fingers. Four. What color are clouds? Four. What do chickens lay? Four. What do cows drink? Mmm. I heard some milk. Baby cows? Maybe not. They drink water, right? I, it's very simple. We're like, I'm in control of my thoughts. We, our initial reaction isn't always great. And he's, he's talking about this idea that, that, I mean, Paul talks about it, how the, 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 the tension between being conformed to the word and being, uh, being transformed by the word and being conformed to the world is by the renewing of our thoughts. That actions aren't just on an island by themselves. Actions usually start with a thought and start with a belief. And so there's a, there's a roadway that's formed by our pattern of thinking. And so he's saying, hey, the, the helmet of salvation, uh, the, the, the poisonous uh, thoughts that the enemy tries to get us to believe, um, when we aren't thinking like someone who has their salvation secured in Christ Jesus, 
we're susceptible to believing other things. So then our mind is incredibly powerful, uh, but we need to have a helmet of God's salvation. Let me keep going. And then the sword of the spirit, the sword of the spirit. Uh, the word used there was mahara. It was a short sword. It wasn't like the Excalibur two-handed sword. Um, it, was a, it was a single-handed sword um, that was used for close combat. It was used for, for killing stuff. Um, it was this sword that was incredibly sharp. Uh, he's saying the sword is actually the word of God. Now, when we look at this idea of the word of God, there, there's two different words that are used. It's the, the logos, the, the written word of God, and the rhema, the, the specific spoken word of God. And there's a, there's a, there's a, a distinction between the two. There's this... Um, Best way I can kind of describe it, it's like we have the logos. We know that in the, in the beginning was the word, the word was God, the word is with God. Jesus is the word that we have. These are the Holy Spirit inspired words on a page. That this is the, the written spoken word of God. But there's also the specific timely rhema word of God. Like you're, you're going through a season or, or, or a situation where you're just overwhelmed with anxious thoughts and you're fearful and you're, you, you feel uh, spread thin and you feel chaotic and, and God brings to mind through the Holy Spirit the verse that God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power, love, and of sound mind. That is the rhema. That is the Holy Spirit illuminating the written word of God at a specific moment for you and I. And what he's talking about is this, this word that is the sword of the spirit is the rhema, is the specific useful word of God. That we have to read God's logos, the, the word, as the Holy Spirit brings verses to mind that he speaks things to us, that we have them for in our time when we need them. Um, and I'll conclude with this. Number three, or the last one, is that we stand firm because Jesus is victorious. Uh, we don't operate in our own strength. We realize that God has equipped us with everything that we need for spiritual battle. Um, and ultimately, we have the ability to stand because Jesus is victorious. Verse 18, it says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. He's saying pray all the prayers all the time. Silent prayers, loud prayers, quiet prayers, personal prayers, group prayers, fervent prayers, word prayers where you don't even know what to say. He said, pray on all occasions, pray all the time, pray all the prayers. Why? Because God hears us. God's not just busy in heaven uh, orchestrating the cosmos. God hears us when we speak. I love this quote from Dallas Willard when it talks about prayer. I think it gets to the heart of sometimes our, our thinking, our, 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 our lack of understanding. He says, God's response to our prayers is not a charade. He does not pretend that he is answering our prayers when he is only doing what he was going to do anyway. 
Our requests really do make a difference in what God does or does not do. The idea that everything would happen exactly as it does regardless of whether we pray or not as a spectator that haunts the minds of many who sincerely profess belief in God. It makes prayer psychologically impossible. Replacing it with dead ritual at best. And of course, God does not respond to this. And you shouldn't either. We can ask him when we have needs, when we are, we, we, we can ask God the Father that our, that Jesus is seated at the right hand of Father, at the Father interceding for you and I. And, and let, me, let me spoil the rest of the story. Jesus wins. Jesus conquered death and the grave. Like Jesus is victorious. And because of his victory, we get to stand assuredly. We get to proclaim his faithfulness, that when the enemy comes against us, that we can proclaim the words of God, that we can proclaim his truth. In fact, we're taking communion today, and the, uh, Paul tells us that whenever we eat this bread or drink this cup, that we proclaim his death until his coming. You're like, well, of all the stuff, why would you proclaim his death? Why not proclaim his power? Why not proclaim his victory? Because his death is our victory. His, his death is the victory of the story. His death is why we are no longer strangers and foreigners. His death is why we are, we are sealed and empowered with his Holy Spirit. His death is why we are allowed to be grafted into the family of God. His death is why we are once dead in our sins and transgressions, but God made us alive in Christ by his death, burial, and resurrection. His death is why there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at the renovation.church.